0: Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development into products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer, who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome.
1: Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Fiona Wills. Fiona is the Associate Vice Provost of Innovation Development and Commercialization at Commotion at the University of Washington. Fiona's group guides researchers through project development towards impact through licensing either to an existing company, to a UW or founder-led startup, or direct-to-user licensing from UW. Fiona has a scientific background in protein chemistry and cell biology. Prior to joining Comotion, she worked for the business development department of Molecular Probes, engaged in both in-licensing and out-licensing activities for the research reagent and diagnostic markets. She has also worked in the health technology assessment field, providing healthcare funding agencies with evaluations of new and emerging medical technologies. And with that impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Fiona. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks again for taking part in the podcast. Uh, I generally like to start off our discussion with asking you a little bit about your journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Seattle at the University of Washington?
2: Yes. I mean, to the extent there is a typical path into university tech transfer, it's probably similar to the journey that that I took. I was in the lab um, as a graduate student, and as a postdoc, doing basic research in the life sciences. And I love that, but I was wondering, you know, how to move closer to impacting patient lives. And in my explorations, I ended up doing health technology assessment, looking at emerging treatments. I mean, it was just a a great opportunity. I was working with a librarian who was pulling information about emerging technologies, and I got to read and sort of uh, try and figure out which ones were were likely to actually uh, reach the patients and need to be covered by insurance. Uh, Part of that job that I wasn't probably well suited to is quite a few times you you would write these 60 page reports on what your findings were. And that wasn't necessarily the part of the job that I loved. So I you know as I continued to try and find a good match, I landed you know at molecular probes where I was able to blend my scientific background with a business practice. And uh, I was really fortunate when I was there. In that I was able to get, you know, you know, a lot of experience with licensing. And so that set me up well when I was looking to move to a larger center that had um, a bigger base of technology and life science companies. And I moved to the University of Washington and I've been here since 2003. Wow. You've been there quite a while. I have. Well, and the great thing about tech transfer is it's constantly changing. So the job is constantly evolving as well.
1: Yeah, that's, I think, what makes it so interesting. Um, And speaking in the University of Washington, and maybe for our listeners who are not familiar with Commotion, can you tell us a little bit about what it is and what it does?
2: Absolutely. So Commotion is UW's collaborative innovation hub, and we're dedicated to expanding both the global and the societal impact of the University of Washington community. Uh, By developing connections to local and global innovation ecosystems, we're able to guide and partner with our faculty, researchers, students, and our entrepreneurs on their path to market and really help them amplify the impact of their ideas. So we encompass the traditional technology transfer office you might, might think of, but then we've got a lot of additional support and activities that are necessary to really have a vibrant University of Washington innovation ecosystem.
1: Yeah. And, and I would say I, I always do a research for these podcasts and your website is pretty amazing in terms of all the information on it and, and particularly all the services that Commotion offers. Um, and there's a lot of them, a lot of videos and things like that. Maybe you can tell people in a little bit more detail about the four different areas that um, you, that commotion provides uh, in supporting innovation.
2: Yeah, so um, it's interesting because a lot of times when we try and describe what we do, there's a lot of activities that go on. And it can be really hard for people to um, grasp what we're trying to achieve. And so we like to talk about our activities across four areas. Um, The first one is IP advising, licensing, and protection. And this is the activity of really guiding the researchers, the faculty, the students on their path to potential whether it's a you know licensed potential startup or UW does a lot of licensing direct to end users. So that's that's one of our key areas. The second key area that we have really built tremendously over the last number of years is innovation training. We incorporate this into pretty well everything we do, and we're looking to build an entrepreneurial mindset for our community. We're looking to uh, help our researchers really gain insight into industry and customer needs to build those skills that are absolutely essential if they're going to be creating a startup and building a company. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, we really find that our researchers need just-in-time types of training. So we do in-person trainings, but we have the video library that, anybody is welcome to come and access on our website. The purpose of that is so that busy researchers can come and access the information when they need it, rather than relying on being able to attend a training that, you know, is offered at a certain time. Uh, We do a number of other workshops as well that are in person. We do idea to plan workshops, which really uh, for the Teams that are working with us is an in-depth dive into their business opportunity where you're matched with one of our community mentors to uh, work through that. We have, through the i program, we do a lot of customer discovery type things. So the in-person work is important as well, but we also want to make sure people can access things just in time on the website. Uh, the third area that we work across is funding and partnerships. Uh, we all know the problem with the valley of death and need to be able to provide sources of funding that are in between the research funding that our the university is so excellent at bringing in and when um, angels and investors are prepared to start investing. And then in addition to some internal funds, we have partnerships that also bring in some funding. And then along with that in partnerships, we really think about our partnership with the community and that our mentors, we have about a hundred mentors in a database that we're able to um, match with our teams so that they can get great sector specific or specific expertise they need, like regulatory or reimbursement, if that's what they need for their project. So that's another example of an Extremely important partnership that we have that we nurture. And then the fourth area is startups and incubation. Uh, obviously, of increasing importance as startups have become uh, so, such a core part of what technology transfer uh, is doing these days. And with that, we provide wraparound services to support startup success. That can include training, mentoring, networking and space, of course, uh, across a variety of industries, um, access to investment and funding opportunities. And importantly, we are also have streamlined startup licensing with really transparent and fair terms for our startups so that it can be an efficient process and it can also um, be cost effective for our startups. So as we think about these four areas, they aren't um, they aren't specific organizational units within Commotion, and they aren't Programs. Instead, they are things that we build into everything we do. And so, for example, when you think about when a researcher has disclosed to our office and we're working with them to make sure that it's ready for licensing, there's usually several years of project development that happen there. And during that time, we really want to make sure that they're getting excellent IP strategy advice that. They um, have the kinds of training they need to think about connecting with industry and being able to ensure that the solution that they're building is actually one that's going to meet an unmet need. And then um, obviously they need gap funding and they need to be able to partner with, uh, with our mentors to be able to ensure that they're moving in the right direction. And if they do go the startup route, then we want to make sure that they have all these resources. So, you know, anything we do, whether it's a funding program we build training in, if it's a networking event, we're thinking about how we can build, you know, awareness of the various activities that are going on. And the other place that we really make sure we're bringing all these activities together is in our incubator space. We, have, we are extremely fortunate to have two incubation spaces. Uh, we call it Commotion Labs. One of them is in what we call Startup Hall, and it is IT-focused software, AR, VR. And we have one of our corporate partners, BECU, have a, has a fintech incubator there. And then in addition to that, we have wet lab space in um, our location called Fluke Hall. And in that, you know, we have life science, we have med tech, uh, biotech companies there. And we're actually just about to open a hardware incubator in that space as well and if you're interested in hardware we also have just started a new series called fundamentals for hardware startups that just started today so if you go to our website you can check out that and that's again another example of how we're integrating training into the actual incubator space so um you know we have other programs the commercial we have commercialization fellows where we will pay a postdoc for a year to uh, continue on a commercialization project where they're really key to that project moving forward. During that year, we're making sure that they're connecting with our mentors and that they're getting the training that they need. Um, We also have a program for undergraduates, the Commotion Mary Gates Innovation Scholars. And that one we partner with undergraduate research to bring undergraduate students into projects that we're already working on. They get mentored. By the research team, by the project team for that, and there are seminars to make sure that they are getting exposed to entrepreneurial thinking and new new tools that they'll be able to use new skills to uh, if they're interested in pursuing an entrepreneurial career. so I mean I can keep going every every program we do,
1: we make sure that we're we're bringing as many opportunities to learn into it. That's really, really impressive. So and and given all that, it'd be interesting to know more about your office and how it's structured, because obviously you you need people for all those programs. So it would be interesting to hear how your office is structured and how many people you have, things like that.
2: We um, have what we call the innovation development group, which includes the managers. Innovation managers are the people who typically work directly with the researchers and they're overseeing the guidance of the projects as they're moving forward and do the licensing. In addition, they uh, partner with our technology management associates. Uh, Those people are the, the glue that holds the various parts of the office together. They make sure that the innovation managers and the patent group And finance and other operations, docketing are all uh, able to work together and exchange information properly and that things get done in a timely way. We are also extremely fortunate to have in-house patent expertise. Uh, This was really transformational for our office when that was brought in place probably close to 10 years ago now. Uh, So we have a patent group that is able to provide patent strategy to our researchers as well as um, do some some of the early provisional filings and make sure that they're able to streamline the activities with our outside counsel for the ongoing uh, patent prosecution and we also have a copyright expert and a trademark ex- expert. So for our projects that aren't the classical patent ones, we're able to make sure that our researchers are getting that kind of expertise as well. And then in addition, we have material transfer agreement specialists. The University of Washington obviously is very active in research and, and you know, does Hundreds of agreements each year to uh, make sure that if there's any intellectual property rights that need to be taken care of, they are associated with those transfers. And we have our uh, disclosure intake and federal comp- compliance specialist in that group as well. We also have a program that's run out of innovation development for people who want to get exposed to. Uh, the early analysis of disclosures and thinking about, you know, evaluating them, thinking about the market, thinking about whether or not there's an IP um, strategy that makes sense. We call those our innovation fellows. Um, And, you know, often they may be graduate students or postdocs who a lot like I was at one time, are trying to think of how they can take their scientific training, but maybe match it with some more business type of activities. Now, the thing is, is that that innovation development group really, um, what they, you know, they provide that guidance to researchers, but we, they need to pull on the um, um, programs and resources around them in order to really be able to provide what researchers need. And so we have another group called Business Development and Ventures, and that group thinks about a lot of the programming that we draw upon, funding programs, our mentor network, the training, the labs. The new partnerships, um, actually marketing and communication is in that group as well. So they will often be taking the lead on interactions with the external community and thinking about how to make sure that we're able to match uh, what the external community wants and what UW wants and find great ways to partner and really uh, also thinking about with our programs, how to continually evolve them to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our researchers and meeting the needs of um, the the external community as well. And then we we do have finance and HR operations as well, extremely important, uh, gifted people without which the operation wouldn't run at all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Given the size of that office and everything that you have going on, um, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about inventions and licensing and things like that. If you could, on average, how many inventions would you say that you have been disclosed to your office, let's say, over the last five years or so?
2: Yeah, it's, it's usually um, 300 or just over 300. So over the last five years, we've had uh, 1,615 disclosures. Um, And from that, 476 patents were issued. So we are an extremely active office. I will say we try and keep disclosures somewhat on the lower side by encouraging researchers to have consultations with us first. So um, rather than just pushing a disclosure number, we try and ensure that when a disclosure happens, it's because we're going to be moving forward with the technology with some patent protection or another licensing opportunity, putting resources in it to develop it further. Um, And so quite often we will be consulting with a a researcher for years um, before they will actually make a formal disclosure. We are proud of our numbers in that, um, you know, we, we've been ranked by a number of reports, including being you know, number 22 top worldwide university for granted U.S. patents. So we are extremely proud of our, our
1: patent group and the support that they provide to the overall operation. And that's really different about keeping the disclosures on the lower side and actually having the PIs come in and interview I, first before doing a disclosure. I haven't seen that Really, I don't think anywhere else. It's a really good idea because like you said, instead of having all this paperwork that you've got to process and track, you make sure, you know, if the invention is really not ripe for patenting, you have them come back when it is more ripe for patenting, so to speak.
2: Well, and what's interesting is that uh, philosophy probably arose more out of a heavy copyright practice that the office has, uh, particularly when you're trying to license a copyright asset. You really need to be working closely with the team early on. In an academic environment, you're frequently grabbing pieces of, uh, for instance, software from various places for your academic project, and that's fine. But if you're going to commercialize it, you really need to be thinking about where you're acquiring materials for and making sure they're original. And so the, the copyright team really pushed this idea that it made sense to be working very early with teams. And It was just so clear that that made sense for patent projects as well for slightly different reasons perhaps, but just making sure that at the point when you're doing the formal disclosure, you're ready to start moving forward. And it gives an opportunity for that more informal contact earlier that can perhaps encourage people to be talking to us um, before they um, are completely ready to move forward with the commercialization
1: project. That's awesome. Well, we talked about the patent side. How about license and active licenses? Um, What would you say you've done over maybe the last five years or so?
2: Sure. Over the last five years, we've had about 1,800 licenses that were signed, uh, and we have had 77 spinoffs out of our intellectual properties. So uh, again, very busy. A lot of those licenses, again, cover... uh, University of Washington has fabulous digital content copyright practice. And so that does contribute that high number of licenses in addition to the exclusive ones we do for the projects that need a lot of further development by the licensee or when they're a startup.
1: What would you say would be your top five earning inventions over the last year or so? Over the last five years,
2: we have had two of our startups out of the Institute for Protein Design, uh, NeoLukin, which does an interleukin-2 type molecule, and PVP, which is an enzyme for breaking down gluten. Those have both uh, really had great success. Another uh, couple of technologies that fit into the category I was mentioning earlier, where it's digital content and we license directly to end users, have been very successful this last year. Rosetta is a protein design software suite and drug interaction database is used by all the major pharmas in their research to really determine whether or not the molecules they're working on are likely to have side effects. And then thinking about a third category of a type of uh, technology that gets commercialized, and another one of our top five is a series of diagnostic antibodies that are used to identify uh, intracytoplasmic melanoma specific antigens. So I think it's nice too because those really represent a diversity of the type of projects we work on as well. It's not really like one type. It's, it always is patented um, because you know, one of those is material, two of them are are copyright, and and two of them are patent type projects.
1: Yeah, that's one of the most well-rounded list of top earning inventions I think I've ever heard. Quite frankly, so it's very impressive. And and speaking of success, let's talk a little bit about what you think's most important in managing innovations to give them the greatest opportunity for success. Rather
2: than thinking about managing the innovations, I encourage our team to think about supporting the innovators instead. I mean, certainly there are activities like I protection and licensing that are absolutely important. You need to get them right. But the innovators are the key to success. They're the ones who bring the ideas in. They develop them into programs that can be out-licensed. And we really need them to, you know, go through the process and feel like they have, um, really enjoyed it, that they've been supported well, and that they want to come back and do it all over again with the next idea. Um, They have to believe that pursuing this opportunity is worth their investment of time, of energy, and, you know, importantly, of their passion. So I believe you have to focus on the continuum of resources that the innovators need, and the strongest network of advisors you can provide them Give them a well understood pathway. Really listen to their needs, and if you do all of those things right, you'll see the great outcomes that we're looking
1: for with the innovations as well. Let's talk about corporate partners and the role they play in technology transfer co motion.
2: Sure. So there's a diversity in how the partners interact with us. Some of the spon- some sponsor events to promote training and networking activities that I've talked about are so central to what we do. Some provide funding to support specific areas of interest and some partner with us to support the startup formation and funding. Some interesting examples include the flexible funding for new ideas that was able to be provided to researchers through the Amazon Catalyst program. Also, we have funding from BECU right now to fund FinTech projects, which really is an area that we don't get a lot of projects in. So we're extremely excited about the ability to really encourage researchers to be thinking about this application of what they're doing. And BECU is also supporting, um, fintech companies in commotion labs challenge. Seattle is supporting projects to improve transportation infrastructure in our area. And I can tell you that anybody who lives in Seattle would be very excited for an improvement <laughs> in transportation infrastructure. And, uh, IP Group is working to spin out companies based on UW research projects. We have funding from Bluetooth to support training opportunities. And Osage University Partners is supporting the exchange of learnings across universities for best practices and startups. So, you know, I just mentioned those examples to show that there isn't one model for how we're working with our corporate partners. And in fact, some of these partners work across multiple areas as well.
1: Yeah, no, that's really interesting given the breadth and depth of your corporate partners. Uh, What would you say or how would you say they've led to maybe more deals or maybe differently structured deals at CoMotion? I wouldn't
2: say that that, that the structure of deals is the way that they've impacted us the most. So the corporate partners who have led to innovative programs that bring in additional UW community members into our innovation ecosystem. In a couple of cases, they have helped us uh, develop additional models supporting the exploration of different approaches, which is great. Um, However, the range of contributions, as I've mentioned, has been much broader than that, with most not influencing actual licensing, but rather the diversity of our ecosystem.
1: And what about philanthropic organizations? I know obviously everyone thinks of Seattle, they think of Microsoft, they think of the Gates Foundation. I'm assuming they've had an impact there on the university. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So a a lot of funding does come from philanthropic organizations. And I will say the Gates Foundation in particular is an incredibly important partner in UW's global health research. You know, they've been sponsoring programs with an eye from the very beginning to ensure impact for those most in need. Their requirement for the global access commitment and licenses is well known at this point. And so we find that both companies and investors really don't have any pushback from those terms. Everybody can just really agree and get behind the principles of what they're trying to achieve. The goals the foundation is working towards are important for the university also. So there's strong alignment and we find strong alignment, really whenever we're working with a philanthropic organization.
1: Now, let's talk a little bit about past licensing transactions or partnerships. And what do you think you or your group uh, have learned and looking back at them might have done differently if you had known them what you know now, kind of a Monday morning quarterback type of thing? (laughs) When you're talking about licensed transactions and just what I've watched over the number of
2: years, realizing that especially as we've moved to startups, the importance of making things as frictionless and transparent as possible. So the best outcomes occur when commotion and licensee are very aware and very comfortable with each other's activities and priorities. One of the first questions we'll often get is, what is the University of Washington looking for in this transaction? And we just want to make sure it's always very clear that we're looking for the technology to get out into the public domain, for it to have maximal impact, and for the license agreement to really be fair to both sides. and So increasing the communication about the goals, why the licenses are structured the way they are, where, you know, if we can tell licensees in advance where time gets, tends to be spent in the negotiation and where it makes time, sorry, where it makes sense for them to spend their time, whereas other terms, really, they are so standard that it's not a place that they should be really pushing on in the negotiation. I'm really excited by our streamlined startup licensing process. It's working great. The teams that have the the least experience Experience are able to get exactly the same terms as the teams that come in who've maybe done it a few times or have hired an attorney that's done it a lot of times. So it really appeals to our university's values of making sure that everybody is treated equally. There absolutely needs to be flexibility in the licensing in order to accommodate specific situations and business practices, but that needs to happen in a predictable and understood open conversation really removing that black box from the negotiation and and making sure that everybody understands the steps and understands where the numbers are coming from for the financials and that if there's you know if we're negotiating that we're ne- negotiating from a data driven place versus personality or just people being concerned that they don't really know what terms they should be trying to negotiate
1: It makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like you guys are doing it really, really well, given the number of transactions and spinoffs and things that are coming out of the university. And speaking of startups and successful technologies, can you give us some of your biggest success stories in terms of startups slash spinoffs? I'll share with you a few stories of our startups that have um, had exits over the last
2: few years that we're really proud of. One of them is Bellwether Bio. It's a University of Washington spinoff that develops next generation cancer diagnostics. I'm sure you've heard of Cell-Free DNA Diagnostics. And it was acquired by Garden Health, um, a very prestigious company in the area, Uh, in April of 2019 it came out of the lab of Professor Jay Shendure, who's in Genome Sciences, and his research lab focused on applying new technologies in genomics. There have been several other startups that have come out as well, so definitely a very active team there, and we're really excited to watch what happens with the product, uh, but now that it's with Garden Health. A second project that was really uh, one that, again, back to... Our practice isn't always about the importance of a patent. Uh, a company called CSATS is a performance management system for healthcare professionals to assess their performance and help them improve as individuals and teams on a continuous basis. The technology was acquired by Johnson & Johnson in 2018, and it began with the work of Thomas Lemvey who's an associate professor in urology and a part of Seattle Children's Hospital. Um, In 2012, we started helping him move his idea to impact by lending expertise on both the licensing and supporting team formation, as well as through funding through our Commotion Innovation Gap Fund. So we're really thrilled at how our resources came together there to support his activities. And that really was um, more of a copyright play than it was a patent play. So um, we always want to encourage our teams to be thinking about the whether or not the patent a patent is the right way to move forward with the project. And then the third one I wanted to mention and I think a lot of people have their eye on this one is PVP biologics. That is a spin out that's developing an oral enzyme I mentioned it earlier for the treatment of celiac disease and that affects, you know, an estimated 2.4 million Americans. The technology was invented in the, um, in the laboratory of David Baker by Ingrid Swanson and the University of Washington's uh, Institute for Protein Design program. In January of 2017, they announced a partnership with Takeda Pharmaceuticals for $35 million to develop the program. And then just this year, Takeda exercised their right to buy PVP. Um, they were located in our commotion labs, another, uh, another project that received a, a diverse number of resources from commotion as well as from uh, the Institute of Protein Design. So uh, a lot of people watching to see whether or not, um, sorry, a lot of people watching to see when they're going to be able to have a treatment for celiac
1: disease. Yeah, that's very encouraging because right now there is really no good treatment. So we'll keep our eye on that one. So given all that your office has going on, what would you say two of your biggest challenges are? The number one challenge I always mention is volume. Because we're so busy, how do you
2: manage that volume? And of course, the way we do it is through our partnerships and really being able to scale by not doing everything ourselves, but being able to point our researchers to the resources. But really, you know, it still continues to be our challenge. How do you ensure that you are providing quality guidance and quality resources when everybody is so busy and the volume is high? The second challenge I'll mention, and this certainly isn't unique either to the University of Washington, and that's funding. It is well understood that technology transfer is not a business where it's easy to Uh, easy to make enough money to support the types of services that are needed to um, support your researchers, your innovators. And patents in particular are extremely expensive. So it's an ongoing conversation how to make sure that um, there's sufficient funding to be able to make sure that the researchers are able to move their projects forward, get the support they need, get the guidance they need, get the connections they need.
1: What about challenges in the Seattle ecosystem that you've been talking about? I'm sure there's probably some challenges there as well. We're actually, there's
2: always challenges. We are very fortunate. Seattle has many vibrant resources um, that we're able to to, uh, make sure our researchers can take advantage of. With that, we continue to work to build additional infrastructure into the ecosystem particularly networking opportunities. We don't have the number of research universities, investors and the infrastructure that say a Boston or a Bay Area do. And so we want to, you know, always be making sure that our researchers can meet as many possible investors as possible, as many entrepreneurs as possible. Um, That's probably, you know, they're there, but we just, if I was to identify a challenge, particularly in the life science area, I would say, um, you know, we want to continue building that, those numbers. Seattle does have a a higher number of tech companies than um, life science companies. But we're making great progress. So I would temper it by saying that, um, you know, it's not a devastating problem. It's just an, an ongoing, it's an
1: opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about a, a, a relatively hot topic or at least in autumn and other organizations, it, it's a hot topic right now. And that's women inventors and entrepreneurs. Uh, does your... CoMotion have any programs or anything else that it does to help encourage and assist women inventors and entrepreneurs? We've been focused
2: on ensuring inclusivity. So rather than uh, having specific programs that we say are for females to participate in, we instead uh, would be thinking about running programs and making sure we're reaching out to all of the audiences that we want to participate. An example of that is we did run an educational program that was designed for women entrepreneurs and we had mostly women participants, but it was certainly open to all participants. (laughs) And so as we're thinking about inclusivity, we're really trying to think, how do we make sure that that everyone is hearing about resources that are available, everybody feels welcome to come and work with CoMotion, and how do we identify what the obstacles might be that would prevent somebody from being able to start a company or uh, commercialize their research and once identified, make sure that we're breaking the barriers down.
1: Switching gears again, let's talk about organizations, whether it's Autumn or LES or something else. Um, What's your team involved in and, and what value do you think some of these organizations add? Right. So various people from our office have been involved with both Autumn and LES
2: over the years. And it's very important for community, for networking, sharing best practices, identifying and tracking trends in our industry. This is, you know, an area where people are constantly evolving and improving so you really want to stay close to your peers and make sure that if somebody else has figured out a new way to do something that you're able to uh, start piloting something similar yourself it can also be just a tremendous benefit for finding sector expertise you know back to my comment about we don't we never have enough people to do Everything that's needed to be done, we couldn't scale across the university everything that's needed. we require partnerships and one of the partnerships is the the people that we meet through organizations like autumn and LES that can um, they can complement our sector expertise with theirs and really make sure that we're able to bring the best information to our
1: researchers and I'm really op- cautiously optimistic that we'll have autumn National in Seattle next year it was uh Quite uh, a disappointment. And and I know for the Autumn board it was a big disappointment. Um, I think everybody who's a member of Autumn really looks forward to that annual meeting every year. So have our fingers crossed that it's gonna go.
2: Yeah, the number one reason people say they go is for the networking. Absolutely. And I, I mean the their educational programming is terrific. I think it's it's more a comment on how fabulous the networking is.
1: Absolutely. What's your view on credentialing things like registered technology transfer professional? does it make a difference well our um our business doesn't
2: have an educational track that people follow in college, so the understanding and experience really has to be acquired elsewhere, and that's generally on the job um, but what credentialing does is it's an opportunity to get that training in place and to make sure that you can tell people that that you have the training so I think that it's a terrific opportunity. It's not necessary for everybody. If you are able to acquire that experience elsewhere and and demonstrate that you have it, then that's terrific
1: too. But the more opportunity
2: that we have to really train people properly to do to transfer, the better.
1: Yeah, I really agree. And it seems like it's getting more and more um, popular. The R T T P, and it seems like more and more people are are uh, seeking that designation. So it ought to be interesting to see. Uh, how much that continues to grow going forward. I agree. So Fiona, I generally like to close the podcast with asking our our guests if they had three wishes for their organization, in your case, commotion, or if they could have a vision realized, what would that be? We're incredibly fortunate to benefit from the
2: generosity and expertise of the innovators in our community through our mentor network. And I'd like to see that resource continue to grow and enrich the experience that our UW innovators are having, um, you know, in moving their ideas into the marketplace. So that's that's probably you know, one of the things I'm most interested in is making sure that that is the most vibrant resource possible. Uh, a second thing, I'd like our number of UW innovators that are excited about commercialization and that find it a rewarding experience to just continue to grow and that those innovators recommend to their friends, to their peers, that they that they participate, that they come back for second, third opportunities and making sure that we're really providing the resources that allow the innovators, despite the fact that they have so many other things to do as well, to actively participate in commercialization. And then the third thing is, really seeing our innovation ecosystem continue to thrive in a way that floats all the boats, you know, including our UW innovators, all of our incredible partners that we work with, you know, be they the university, in the city, in the state, even nationally. And that together, I'm really confident that the opportunities
1: that we're able to offer to our innovators will continue to expand. Well, that's great. Well, Fiona, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you?
2: Sure. I mean, they can send me an email. My email is pretty easy. It's fwills at uw.edu. And I can be found on the commotion website easily as well. I will say also that you can follow commotion on Twitter and on Facebook. And we welcome anybody to subscribe to our newsletter to uh, be able to stay on top of our activities, our trainings,
1: our videos. So please feel free to um, sign up. Thanks so much again, Fiona.
0: It's really been great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.